Hello, and welcome back to Free Real and Get Your Movie uh, Watching Podcast with your two friends. I'm one of the two friends, Jesse, and with me today, shocked that I started the podcast, is Matthew. I'm not shocked. There was, there was no there was no lead into it. I just started. no, there was no lead in it. But I, I also every so often you do that, and I've gotten used to just expecting it. In um, or at least, well, it probably hasn't happened since we started the way we record now. Uh, oh, by the way, hi, I'm Matthew. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think when we originally started, we would hear the Zoom lady and then you would lead into it. And that was always kind of jarring. Yeah. But uh, I've, got, I've gotten used to it. It's, it's, al- it's almost kind of welcome because it'll shock my system into focus. So, so, yeah. How are you? I'm tired. It's been a week. It's been a month. Uh, this is we're recording this last day of November. I don't remember. See, October. Um, <laughs> and tomorrow starts my writing month, so I'm gonna be busy with that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's it's a cra- it's a crazy it's a crazy end of the year. For real, it. Is, I mean, I not this past week, but the week before, I was on vacation. Uh, and I was so excited to be on vacation. I published a trivial merit episode early, and then uh, <laughs> and then we and then we uh, we recorded our wonderful episode with Caroline, which is out now. And uh, and then I I actually got a lot of watching done, which I'm excited to talk about later on well it's uh it's, it's late on my time it's later on your time let us jump into our movie for today which you picked kind of at random you're like hey you want to watch this and i knew i was going to be sad watching it but i didn't know how sad i was going to be watching it we watch synetiki new york a yes. 2008 charlie kaufman film starring the uh amazing philip seymour hoffman um the pretty amazing Samantha Morton, the pretty amazing mm-hmm. Michelle Williams, the pretty amazing mm-hmm. Kathleen Keener, the pretty amazing Tom Noonan. Mm-hmm. Hope Davis, Jennifer Jason Lee, Emily Watson. This, this, the cast is stacked. Yeah, it's pretty stacked. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty wild for a <laughs> directorial debut to have that kind of a stacked cast. A movie that that the the distributor which i think was fox searchlight um uh-huh. knew wasn't going to make money <laughs> like at all um because i was reading about like how the dis- distribution deal went and they're like we don't we're not we're not taking anything from this whatever profit or whatever money gets made uh goes to you guys like we're not taking anything which yeah. has that i don't i don't know of many at all movies that are like that no so it's pretty amazing so I guess the best way I thought about talking about this is just summing up what the movie is, like just face value and mm-hmm. kind of diving into what, how we felt and kind of like the questions the movie brings up and kind of how it answers it or doesn't answer them, I guess. So basic premise of the movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Caden Cotard, uh, is a playwright, play director, uh, Say um a lot because my my brain is just kind of pat, pat, pacing the the room in itself. But he he's very occupied with death, even at the beginning, mm-hmm. and it kind of presents itself in very various different ways. 
Uh, my favorite ones is the commercials on the TV with him kind of being the focus on in the commercials. Like he's he's then there, and he gets a grant. Which grant does he get? The MacArthur Genius Grant. He gets the MacArthur Genius Grant after his last play was such a big success because he made the old people young. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems to be, like, the only special thing about it is, like, like they were playing old people, but they were they were young. Mm-hmm. And he decides he wants to make something real. He wants to make the story of life and his life and everybody's life. And it becomes this obsessive project that infects everything around him. Yeah. And even before this though, things are kind of starting getting affected and and also he's very he's very obsessed that he's dying at all times, that he is slowly aging. And I think there's something super fascinating about that that I'll get to in a moment. Uh but the other thing too is the time doesn't move super linearly. I mean, it's technically a linear time, but there's time jumps and he yeah. can't acknowledge that time has moved. And right. I like that stuff too. Um, there's stuff about his daughter. There's some weird stuff about his daughter that I don't know how comfortable I feel about that stuff. Yeah, this movie goes some places. But I think its purpose is to make you uncomfortable for a good chunk of it and to maybe give you comfort in that last 15 minutes, even if it is very sad. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's just, it's it's a very, it's a very moving performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And as I was watching it, I was like, I'm I miss I miss this man because <laughs> he he, yeah. he he uh sadly passed away only around I think 45 he was like he was in his mid 40s yes. um so yeah anyways <clears throat> so that being said this movie is very emotional this movie is a very hard watch if you haven't watched it yet and you're listening to this you're like oh, I kind of want to hear what they think about it uh just know that going into it it's very sad and we're probably gonna be talking about some very sensitive things like suicide depression health in general um, self-analysis paralysis which I think is something that the movie is executes very well in my opinion you know what I noticed uh, I didn't hit record on the main recording so I'm gonna just hit it now um, <laughs> but you have your you I, have, have your... I have my recording and we have your recording and it looks pretty good so I'm not gonna be okay. too worried about it but just in case something goes funky sure um, so hey, Matthew why don't you start kind of like with your general thoughts on it so I, this is only the second time I've seen this movie. I saw it in theaters uh, the week it came out. And um, it was in 2008, which at this particular time, I had been married to my first wife for just over a year. And I kind of bullied her into coming with me because she did not know... Uh, what this movie was and the trailer did nothing for her in terms of in terms of like being interested in it but we both came out of it having one of the I remember Deanna and I having a very impassioned discussion about it. it wasn't really like an argument or anything but we were both like pointing out details and trying to piece everything together and one of the I think I don't want to I don't want to say it's one of the last things that she and I did that that I really liked because we had a long time together after that we did plenty of other things that were really cool um but for some reason I remember the experience of going to see this movie 
And I remember the discussion afterwards, uh, or at least I remember the feelings around it. And, um, like bringing it up here, I'm like, I've always wanted to watch this again. And I never have. And I was, I'm honestly, when I brought this up, I was like, I didn't even think about whether it was streaming or not because I don't own it. And I didn't know if it was. I was glad to see that it was streaming on Hulu when uh, when you had responded, cool, let's do that. Or I think you said you wanted to watch it anyway. But this film is... Everything, everything you've said up to this point is like 100% bullseye accurate. Like this is... It, it's not... And it's not an easy watch. You probably, I think, if anybody has listened to every episode of this, they'll probably see this movie and go, like, "Oh, Matt and Jesse are on their difficult bullshit again," uh, and and they're probably right. But this film is, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's it's as uncomfortable as it is kind of stunning. And what I. And I think I'm kind of I think I'm kind of just losing what you had said to me <laughs> before uh, because I'm getting wrapped up in my own thoughts. I mean, I think it's okay to get wrapped up in your thoughts in this. Um, mm. So yeah, kind of something. Some, the most interesting thing about this movie is his obsession with death, and then everybody around him dies. Yeah, there's not someone he cares about left basically by the end of the movie and the last person he talks to is basically a complete stranger that he only technically knows through stories told by him by other people mm-hmm. which is the mother of the one of the other actors who talks yeah. about like this is the mother to me on the picnic and this is the actress playing that mother in the play um mm-hmm. so i found like that's the most i think the most fascinating thing is like the the the, the biggest death is his loneliness. Yeah. There's there's a theme that goes throughout this movie because there's another character who is basically, I think, um, Caden's true like mate, which is Hazel. Mm-hmm. And we, we see her, and this is like maybe the second or third time we notice that this movie's doing some weird stuff where she's going to buy a house and the house is on fire when she's going to buy it. And she says, yep. my biggest fear is dying in a fire. And every yep. time we see her in this house, it's still on fire, slowly getting more and more burned out. And when she dies, she basically dies in a fire. Yeah, she dies of she dies of exactly what she was afraid of, smoke inhalation. And I and there's somewhere early in the movie where Caden talks about basically, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. And that's how he he doesn't die of all the different weird elements that keep showing up. Um, mm-hmm. He dies by being alone. Yeah, he's like early in the film. He's listening to uh, like news reports or he's reading the Schenectadian. Um, and it's like it's almost like he's doing a box score in his head of how people died. Like he's running down. Oh, this person died of whatever reason this person died of a stroke this person died of blah 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 and it's it's um it's almost like he's marking down 
as if to say, okay, because these people died like this, I'm not going to die like this today. So how am I going to die? Yeah. Uh, and the entire time he's always, he's, he's always seems to be asking himself this question and time passes on, but he's too focused on how he's going to die to notice. (laughs) And then you end up with, like years passing and he he thinks it's only been a week yeah uh this movie this movie was hard to just consume as it kept on challenging the idea of like what what do we care about in that moment mm-hmm. and something i've always, i've been struggling with a lot in just in general with my own life and kind of mental uh state is regrets and like how do i just engage and acknowledge that there's gonna be regret and i need to get over it and just kind of move past it because regret is kind of just a weight that holds you down yeah not really anything that's productive and that's kind of this that's what Caden's whole thing is is like it's regret after regret and instead of letting it go and moving past that and like kind of accepting that life is life especially in the first half before he gets the grant like he's holding on to his wife who doesn't want to be with him oh yeah and even though she, she's like I'm gonna I'm just gonna go on vacation we'll be separated for a bit and then he's like he talks to her and she's like she's been gone talks to um talks to uh to Hazel and Hazel goes she's been gone for a year and he's like it's only been a week mm-hmm he's only on vacation yeah but no she, they're, you're divorced man you're like you're separated you're gone she's married to somebody else but he can't accept it he still doesn't accept that when he goes to see his daughter nope um, and then he makes the, his final play just a series of his regrets. Yeah, over and over and over again, they compound and compound and compound until everybody dies in the play. Mm-hmm. Every <laughs> by the end of it, he's like, "What? Where is everybody?" And they're like, "Most of them died." Which or quit. That, that's maybe my mm-hmm. most frustrating thing is I don't know what happened there. I don't get that yeah. part. I don't like he hears like gunfire and bombs and stuff, and I don't understand what. Kaufman was going for in that I don't know if you have any idea I so the I don't there's a there's a lot about this movie that honestly I have no uh no commentary or um idea of its significance mainly I, I think it's probably because I've only seen I've only seen it twice and I first saw it when it came out in 2008 and we are now in 2022 and a lot of time has passed since that first viewing. So this is almost like I'm watching it again for the first time. I think if I were to watch this again, which I probably will a lot sooner, uh, I will probably have more thoughts on that. But I actually think a lot, I think the construction of this narrative and um, the the statements of getting lost in your in yourself are the predominant meat here, uh, mainly because mainly because or at least they're 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 like the they're like the material that you can probably draw the most water from. Uh, 
personally because like I see a lot of this in my own my own existence my own life yeah um and and just looking at the wikipedia page uh charlie kaufman and i have the the exact same birthday so so yeah (laughs) scorpio season baby um but what i what i like here is the way that uh hoffman's character uh caden cotard endlessly wants to uh, focus on his regrets and I think somewhere in there he's looking for a resolution or a better way or possibly a, a, a better outcome for those situations but because he's so focused on the idea of the play being honest and real that'll never come yeah because he only wants to look at it from the way of what happened yeah and i think there's there's beauty in all of the people that he brings in to play himself the people that these situations happened with he reconstructs them in a way that is all he reconstructs them as almost this is like science fiction on the level of Solaris or or not quite 2001 but like they, they're definitely working on uh, a metaphysical playing field at, at certain points in the movie and especially like in the second half he there there are moments where he's he's almost mad that actual life is getting in the way and causing folks to go off script yeah um and like that's why i think this is all this this is oh i mean you know two hours and just over two hours of self-analysis paralysis because he's looking at his issues the entire time especially while making while using his uh macarthur grant uh, or macarthur fellowship i think is what it's called in the movie and like there's a moment where um i forget which hazel it is but there's like real hazel and second hazel yeah that stuff gets pretty uh a little annoyingly confusing at times. Like, I mean, it's purpose on purpose. It's supposed to be confusing, but at times, I'm like, I just wish I can kind of like get my wrap my brain around this. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, like, it's 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 hard for me to wrap my brain around recalling it, but I actually think the the idea is a is a very abstract. Uh, it's a very easy abstract idea to get around because she like i think one of the hazel says well it's, it looks like this caden and that hazel are into each other yeah and it's like what happens when you are mixing your like it's it's almost like a statement on the fallibility of you know human memory what 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 are you remembering that is true and what are you remembering that is romanticized in a way um and what happens when the line between those becomes so blurry you're not sure who's who anymore uh unfortunately for 
this particular situation it involves uh the suicide of tom noonan who is playing caden guitar caden guitar this like the 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 first imitation of of caden Cotard, and it's all because uh he fell in love with the wrong hazel yeah and lost in his own bullshit we'll call it uh not not to be disrespectful but you know clearly this is all all in caden's mind he's like he's just looking at the body of tom noonan going hey man i didn't jump yeah that's not me i'm not i i would have done this you need to do <laughs> yeah. better and yeah and just like like <laughs> like snap out of it something weird has just but, happened and you are not you are not here that and then when they go to the funeral he's still kind of doing that where he's saying something kind of profound just be, because he wants to see it in the play kind of mm-hmm. that yeah. that in itself is like come on. yeah well i mean and you think about that just like you know forget forget the moment to moment in the movie like look at in 2000 like this comes out in 2008 look at how things have progressed in 2002 like in terms of like the idea of a content creator yeah like this is like i mean the idea of stand up comedy like i think the probably the idealized version is a, a comedian goes into situations they wouldn't normally go to for material so this isn't like a new thing but you could totally see like <laughs> you could totally see a line between this film and Logan Paul. And I'm not like trying to say that Logan Paul is like high art in the way that this movie is, but clearly they are just doing stuff. Oh yeah, totally. You can see it for, for, well, I'm yeah. Like I'm not trying to equate the two. Um, and you know, I think that, I think that that's where this movie absolutely shines because it, it, it points to the nature of, creativity uh the the idealized boundlessness of it as well as the very real very grounded effects that the people in the creative process can't miss yeah and it it it's one of the striking things that i've that has stuck with me since i first watched the movie uh and none of that. It, I, I think if we were talking about how this cast is stacked, and I'm not going to, I'm not naive enough to say that any of those performers uh, couldn't have turned in a bad performance or, or or a less than adequate performance, because I think we are all humans. But I do think that. If any of the people mentioned in the in the main cast, if any of them do less than their best work, this film falls way the hell apart and is almost irreparable. Yeah, I've been th- I, I've been listening to a lot of talk about Kubrick recently, and just listening mm-hmm. to people talk about him and and stuff that he did, and I um my thought process of that is like how hard was it to make this how many takes did it need mm-hmm. how how much how much time did it take from everybody yeah like how, like how much time was it and 
hopefully the answer is like Kaufman is actually good at good at what he does and it didn't take a long haul. But it's one of those movies where you can easily see this being like, oh, we gotta go again, we gotta go again, we gotta go, like, keep on going because there's no there's no way to get this perfect, but that you want it as close as perfect as possible. Yeah. Like, I think, and I also think that, you know, this doesn't exist without, this doesn't, this isn't someone's, like, and I'm not trying this to be dinner, to be pejorative to anybody involved here, but this isn't like somebody's first film in like film school. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like if you bring this, if you bring this to a film school professor, um, even even like a good perceptive, like you know, accepting one, they look at they probably look at a screenplay like this and go, "Wow, this is really a mess." Like I don't get what's I could see I could see just you know that happening, but what Kaufman had done with being John Malkovich adaptation Eternal Sunshine, um, and even I think he did Human no that I think he did Human Nature as well, or at least he was involved in that somehow. Um, without that work, like I could see a lot of the principal actors here going hmm i don't know what this is i'm i'm bowing out yeah totally and uh it is it is it is it is a weird and perplexing work and it's one of those um it's almost like one of those uh paper craft things you could make that if you if you keep unfolding it, it folds into something else, and then you you can just keep pulling it apart, and it keeps refolding onto itself. Um, I forget the term for that, but it's like it's or it's like a, a Rubik's cube without any colors. Uh, you just keep you can keep turning it over on itself, almost in a way that like Lynchian would or Lynch would write a, a screenplay. Yeah, but w- without being. Um, it's definitely got that uneasy factor, but it's not like trying to flip over and uh, reinvent anything that has already been stated in the film. This is just like, hey, we all contain multitudes and it's all weird. <laughs> yeah. And if we if we spend way too much time staring in the mirror trying to figure it all out, Everybody we know uh, will will pass on by. It's one of those things where it's like, how do you recommend this to someone else too? Like, how do you tell someone like, hey, you should check this out because you'll you'll have a good time with it. Like, you can't have a good time with it, but you can also like really fall in love with characters and the people and kind of want to see the best for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes into like, you know, the, the, I think the writing and the way that the actors perform the writing, if any of that is not working in concert, this is not a, it's not, it's a way more painful watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, bagel. We agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Bagel oh, again. The the, the quite most of the time third host of this podcast really has something <laughs> to say today. And I understand Bagel. It's a very very upsetting movie. Bagel, we already talked about the house on fire. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I I do want to say I do like that towards the end of the movie when uh, I think it's Diane Weist when she becomes the I, I'll say de facto Caden Cotard yeah um and he's and he's like what do I do and he's like well we've got a good ro- we've got a good we've got a good role uh in in Ellen Ellen's a pretty good role uh would you like to do that and he's like I like to clean ah uh, man the, <laughs> I like the clean stuff got me pretty good yeah, and I was I was just thinking like, oh, that's why I hate to clean. <laughs> like, well, and, and and you know, it's 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 a silly it's a silly way to look at it, but like, that's like I and this is a, probably a bit too revealing, a bit too personal, but like I'm very bad at doing chores around the house. Um, except the ones that I'm really good at. So like, you know, I, I will do dishes all night long if I have to. Um, but like, I do not like doing laundry or, 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 or vacuuming or do wiping the surfaces down, you know, or, or whatever. And I think that like, ultimately the, the statement there is almost um, a statement on having a job. Yeah. Like, cause we just do this because we're okay with it until we inevitably pass on, which is a heartbreaking, heartbreaking sentiment, but also beautiful. Yeah, totally. Maybe profound. I don't know. Uh, I will say this. Uh, watching this right after we did Immortality with Caroline uh, was was a choice. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because both these movies are or the Immortality, the game, and this movie are really pushing the idea of how do you live forever through your art? Like that's really Uh what it's going for. And immortality yoinks that away from its main characters from basically causing disaster after disaster to make it never come out. Yeah. And this movie yoinks it out by having a mass murder (laughs) that we don't understand why it happens. And since everybody's dead and everybody that he cares about is dead, he just kind of gives up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. Very, uh, very, and and as someone who's like about to be on my creative warpath in a bit, um, it's one of those things where like, is all the effort I put in kind of worth what I think it is? And it makes me question that, and not like in a bad way, not in like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be creative. But more in like, am I doing it for the right reason? Am I doing it for a reason that isn't just to 
extend my life, which a lot of artists um, are do that. They 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 make art because they want to live forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm with you there. But I I think I just think that's very it's very interesting to do that back to back. Mm-hmm. And. I appreciated that we watched this movie, but at the same time, I don't think I was in the right headspace to go into it. Yeah, you, um, when you said that to me on Discord right before we started recording, like I was, I'm like, I don't think I've ever been ready for this movie, and and I don't think I was ready in 2008 when I saw it as much as I wanted to see it because it was Kaufman directing a movie uh, who had written movies that I just loved. Uh, and I, I definitely wasn't ready now, like, uh, and the, and the state of the stage of life I'm at now is way different than in 2008. Not just because I'm about to turn 43, uh, but I have, I have a baby on the way <laughs> and I'm going to have to be a father and yeah. I still want to do things as well. Uh, like I, I want to be a good dog dad to Bagel, even though uh, it seems like he just whines on the other side of the door a lot. <laughs> I promise Bagel's a happy dog. He just gets separation anxiety. Um, and like thinking about creative pursuits, and just to just to have that conversation with you a, a little bit here. Uh, I think about that a lot too and I'm not near I'm not near at a stage of creativity that you are, Jesse. Like yeah. I've 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 done a, I've done a lot of talking on a microphone uh and I know that there's there's some things that go with that and we're not not creative uh in doing that but like I've always, you know, put pen to paper and started ideas and then ultimately I end up uh, I usually I've I've abandoned every idea I've ever started <laughs> writing. Unfortunately, not because I not because of any sort of like you know self deprecation or anything, but just because I didn't like it anymore. Yeah. Um. And I think that's where that's where that's where you and I differ. Not just in our in our skill. Uh, I think you ultimately like know you have something to say. Yeah, and he, but even then, though, like, I, you, you get to the questioning of, do what I think I have to say is it kind of important? And not that every piece of art has to be important in any way. It's just like sometimes it's easier to make that art when you think it. I think um, there's there's a moment where Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie talks about how have to really you have to really know misery to do the acting that he's asking these people to do like especially in in the second play he says it in the first play when the car crash happens and you get introduced these characters but in the second play there's moments where he's like you guys are fighting actually fight like just fight and yeah. as I was watching this I go Philip Seymour Hoffman is a man and again tragically he, he killed himself and, and real life so watching this movie it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman is he is this character in this movie he is yeah. basically 
acting out his frustrations in a movie about a guy trying to get people to act out his own frustrations. Mm-hmm. And it's and it was kind of it, knowing having that too. It was it was hard to watch in that way also. Yeah. I mean, and and he was. I'm. I don't remember what year he died, but uh, it, it was it was a bit ago now. But yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it might be beyond five years ago now. You want 2014? Yeah, it's it's. Oh wow! Approaching so, ten. Wow, I didn't realize it was that long. Um, but like to think of the the movies that still came. Like the, the performances he still had yet to deliver, and and what he could have like. I mean, think about the last movies he basically was a part of were the Hunter Hunger eh, the Hunger Games, and mm-hmm. suppose like he was supposedly great to work with in those, and people loved working with him in those, and he and he was doing like great performances in those, and. That's in that, but that's the like the last, and I'm looking at I'm just looking like really briefly on what the last few major movies he were yeah. before he passed away. So, so uh, Synetic is 2008, right? Yes. Then he made Doubt. Yeah. Um, he made Ides of March, Moneyball, mm-hmm. The Master. Like yeah, The Master is dope. And there's stuff in between those movies, but all of those movies are so intense for kind of what they're going for. And I don't know how big of a role he is in Ides of March or Moneyball, but he's huge in The Master, and he's mm-hmm. huge in Doubt, and those are, like, very just tense movies. Yeah. And he's always been that actor that felt like he throws himself into whatever role he is. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things where it's like, how much of his performances every single time he performed was he just throwing himself into things? Yeah. I mean, in, like, I don't know his very first movies. Like, I just remember him, like, as Brant in The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the that's the first thing. That's, like, the first. That's Honestly, it's still one of the first images I think of when I think of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Not that, not that like, not that, like, that's even a great performance, but yeah. it's it's like you think that Brant from the Big Lebowski ended up here and in the master and, you know, portraying Truman Capote for, uh, an Oscar in an Oscar winning performance. And then other movies, he was like opposite Adam Sandler and punch drunk love. Like this, he was a man that could like give the most serious performance that you've ever seen in your life. And then the next moment, kind of make you fall out of your chair laughing in a, in a really funny way like mm-hmm. he, he was he was just kind of a an insane talent that is again too soon to really have hit its peak yeah um yeah I don't know I just really want to talk about how it felt like that his performance was him like really um Sure. I don't know if you have any any other thoughts because like this movie is one of those movies where like we only you only have kind of like these linear thoughts on it and then that's kind of all you can get at the moment. Like there's there's stuff you could talk about its direction. This movie costs twenty million dollars to make and it looks like especially near the end with all the sets and stuff. Sure. Um, 
but it's it doesn't like try to play up anything special it just does what it wants to do and it does it very well yeah no 100 percent uh and, and like and i think in in certain movies that's uh that's a, a worthwhile discussion um i think this gets back to what you were saying about the studio that produced it. Yeah. Like, like they expected nothing back from this. Um, and we could, you know, talk about the motivations of that, but I think ultimately like they probably kind of knew what they had, or at least hopefully they, they thought they had an idea what they had. And I think that like, I think that there's going to be, like this, this will probably be a, a movie that gets talked about in less than ten years' time about being like being as good as anything that came out after it. Yeah, uh, and it definitely it belongs in it belongs in the conversation that like it's probably one of the better films in the last. 50 years so going back to like the 70s i think that this this belongs in that conversation personally yeah um like watching it again like like and i know that i know that we've talked about revisiting our top 10 and like this is one of those like man why wasn't this in my top 10 already it's because i'd it's because i'd forgotten about it like this movie is one of those that made me think about movies and made me think about art and made me think about interpreting art and having the conversation with yourself about art uh and unfortunately like talking about the moment to moment in this movie doesn't lend to any of that because it's sort of the it's sort of the beauty of cinema to sit in the seat and have that conversation, have that interaction yeah. rather than, rather than just, and I'm, and I, rather than just, you know, Luke Skywalker swinging, a, swinging a lightsaber or Superman flying across the screen or, or wrapping around the earth to, to spin time backwards or, um, Indiana Jones running from a boulder, you know, things like that. Uh, those are all, th- that is all cool shit. I'm not here to disrespect any of it. But this movie is playing on a different field totally. than that. It's yeah. not. It's. I mean, I could see any anybody that like when I was getting super into movies and people were sort of pointing. To, like I had, I had this group of we'll call them cinema bro friends who wanted to tell me like the best things to watch because I was genuinely curious in what I hadn't seen. Uh, if I were to say, hey, watch Synecdoche, New York, they would have said, why the do you like this, Matt? And yeah. I would have been like, well, here's why. And they're like, I don't watch movies for that. And then, you know, that's that's the conversation. That's not anything. There's nothing wrong with that uh, because we can all engage with this how we want. And I think that this movie fosters that engagement um, more than most. Yeah, Totally. What about you? Any final thoughts from you? I, th- I you know, there's one final thought that I, I forgot to bring up. It's the therapist. Hope Davis is the therapist in this movie. I think it's the funniest 
joke in this movie that she answers his questions before he finishes them. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And then her book even predicts, like, the moment that she kind of tries to seduce him, and he goes, I don't want to have sex with you. And... <laughs> And what's so funny is there's a moment where he looks at her foot and there's like a blister on her foot. Mm-hmm. And the next time she shows up and I, and they don't they don't call attention to this. You have to be looking at her feet because you, they called attention to her earlier, but not this time. Her her shoe strap is even on her foot tighter, and her foot's more blistered and it's yep. purple and it's like more messed up. Mm-hmm. And it's just I find I find it so interesting. And there's no reason for it. I don't know why. He, I, I mean, I know what, like the the thing about the therapist cutting him off. That is like just like his a kind of interpretation of like what it, it feels to go to therapy is you're just telling someone to, to just tell you simple basic things, which can yeah. be how it feels sometimes. But that part, sure, no idea why it's in there. I don't know why he made her foot all gross and made it even grosser later. So I actually think it's because he was thinking about. Wasn't there a scene where he had bumps on his leg or something? Oh, he did, I, but that was before he started cleaning. I don't know if that why that's why it came up. Yeah, but I think that just sort of plays into the he's obsessed with death still. Yeah, and I noticed um, that like every time a health thing kind of comes up as right is after he kind of screws up with a woman. Oh right? yeah, like yeah. he tries to call his wife and she can't she can't hear him and doesn't know he's there and that's when he has the seizure. Um, mm-hmm. He gets into a fight with. Uh, we didn't even get into the daughter stuff. But I don't think I don't only think I'm comfortable getting into the daughter stuff. I don't. Yeah, that's uh, that's sort of that's the one part of this that I kind of find impenetrable, and that's just right now. Like if yeah. we were to watch this again, probably, but like I'm not here to have that. But it's, he gets into the fight with Maria, and then that's when he has trouble breathing. Like every time he gets to a fight with a woman, mm-hmm. um, that's when the next thing happens. Um, yeah, I just find that interesting. Question: I'm having. A, a, a thought was hope davis also the person selling hazel the house too uh i don't think so because for some reason i remember them no, looking no, it's the amy same. right because this is burning house realtor is amy right so okay good because I, I was like okay i was like wait a minute that looks like is that hope, that's not hope davis is it and i was watching this you know before the coffee had kicked in this morning um so i'm glad that that worked out to not be true um i was kind of hoping i really wanted reba to watch this movie because i remembered some of the therapist stuff in this and i'm very much like i always see like uh an incorrect x-ray in any kind of media like i'm always interested to see her interpretation of the way other media discusses therapy and therapists because sometimes uh, it gets a it gets a little wild. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it it gets a bit out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, uh, Matthew, what have you been watching? Okay, uh, so I have recent. Well, before the last episode, um, I had finished watching Double Zeta Gundam and uh, Charles. Uh, Char's counterattack again and uh double zeta gundam still kind of my favorite gundam um yeah judo ashta is uh is a great gundam protagonist uh and he's kind of the one that is the least held down by the bureaucratic bullshit that happens in gundam and i, I love him for it 
he also spends a lot of time punching authorities, which is a, which is a good look. Uh, I've also finished the first volume of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the ma- the manga. And can I ask you a question? I know I, I started talking to um, Zodiac from the Uppercut Discord and yeah. Zodiac underscore 308 on Twitter. Uh, and, and he said, I bet you Jesse and I could guide you through JoJo pretty well. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dio in JoJo? Um, I think in part one, Dio is an okay antagonist. Um, I think when Dio shows back up, uh, spoilers... But when Dio shows back up down the road, he's maybe one of the best antagonists in all of anime. Okay, because after volume one, I fucking hate Dio. Oh yeah, he's like he's easy to hate. Like he's super- no, not like not like in the not like not like in the he's a he's a annoying pissant. But like we need him for the protagonist. Like honestly, for through volume one of this manga, and I am going to read volume two. Whether or not I go on after that, I'll see how that goes. But I enjoyed Volume 1 enough to finish it. I could not stand either main character. Jonathan, that's the, that's the most interesting thing about the first half of the first part is Jonathan, or is, is it Joseph? I can't remember. That, all it's others. Jonathan Joestar. Yeah, Jonathan is, until Jonathan gets older, he's very insufferably annoying baby. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, spoiler alert, he dies at the end of the first one. Yeah, right? part, he dies at the end of part one, yeah. Yeah, and then I think it's just like a progenitor, it's a, it's a, but in, they wrote, but they the rogue second, legacy it, I guess. When, when he gets his strength to fight Dio, like actually, like, they actually start being, uh, fighting against each other. Yeah. I think he becomes a really interesting and fun, uh, protagonist, and it's, mm-hmm. it's very sad to see him go so early. Right. Like, I was like, man, I'm kind of worried about where they go from there. And then, like, I did sort of look ahead and, and they talk about uh, Jonathan Joestar. I'm like, all right, fine. I, I, I kind of have an idea as to what they're doing. Whether or not that's true is still to come to pass. Yeah. Um, But I found the ancillary characters way more interesting. Like, yeah. I and really, that's, that's kind of the, the case for a lot of JoJo is, like, the side like, characters are a little bit more interesting than the main, jo- the main JoJo's. Like Zapelli and Speedwagon kind of rule. Um, I did like Arena when you're when you, when you are around her. Uh, she's awesome, um, and I think it, I think it's I think it's I think it's a good read. Uh, I think it's. I mean, I think I can see because I, because of like some media I absorbed along with Berserk, specifically uh, the wonderful Maddie Lewis and uh, her podcast, The Pod Hand. Like, that pointed me towards Fist of the North Star, and I see, oh, wait a minute, that's the one that just sort of... <laughs> that's the one that sort of lays a lot of groundwork for what a uh, manga protagonist is. I don't want to say shonen because shonen doesn't always mean, you know, this story. Um, but, uh, so I did that. And then I am about three quarters of the way through Trigun. Nice. Which, this is, that is a fun fucking show. (laughs) Like, I love that this is the one that sort of understands, like, 
where she, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to mention properties and I don't really think this is the same, but like where like the Dragon Ball Z's, your uh, One Piece, your, 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 your typical anime protagonist where it like points out like, you know, these are all just idiots on some level. Um, because the, uh, Vashta Stampede is definitely just kind of a moron up front forward facing but if you go with the journey that he's on especially meryl and millie uh who are two of my (laughs) two of my favorite side characters in all of anime now uh like i like how they explore all of that with really good depth and uh really fun stories uh i'm excited to finish that and i'll probably watch the movie that came out after it um and right now, I'm kind of glad this is a this is a thing that didn't just happen forever, you know? Yeah, totally. Like I, I think I've heard of it mentioned as one of the best like single season anime things. And as of right now, like I'm I this is one of the best anime I've ever watched. Uh, also, uh, Reba and I have been watching Grace and Frankie on Netflix, which is a really fun show. Um, and there was something else we watched that I wanted to talk about specifically, but I it is escaping me, so I forgot. What have you been watching, Jesse? Um, I watched a lot of horror movies this weekend with some friends. Um, uh, it amazes me that Beetlejuice is a PG movie, but it came out in '88, so as you will. Um, yeah. I watched a few movies that weren't horror movies. I think are interesting to talk about since last time we talked. I watched The Jerk. The oh, that's a good Jerk. movie. That movie's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only aged slightly poorly. Sure. Which is pretty impressive for comedies from 79. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I watched Bray Lyndon on my path to finish Kubrick's filmography. Nice. I think Bray Lyndon is maybe his best movie so far that I've seen. Ooh. I think there's a strong argument that Barry Lyndon's the best Kubrick movie because it has all the fun Kubrick stuff in it, but none of but it doesn't make you feel awful. <laughs> it is pretty it's pretty sad at points, but it doesn't make you feel totally awful. Like I didn't I I understand the Clockwork Orange was really like well done. I didn't like mm-hmm. it, but I love Barry Lyndon. <laughs> Now, okay, so I have to ask, have you seen, you've seen 2001, yes? Yeah, uh, 2001. Okay. Uh, I have two left that I haven't seen. I haven't seen uh, Full Metal Jacket, which is the next one. Okay. And I have not seen Eyes Wide Shut, so. Okay. I, th- I think, I think it's a strong contender to be the best one. <laughs> nice. Um, well, that's, that's nice to hear because, um, I mean, I'm probably in the camp with like 2001, which doesn't make me anything special. I think 2001 is really good though. Yeah. Um, But like, I always, I'm always happy to hear that like some, someone likes something that, especially like with Barry Lyndon, because Barry Lyndon is, is in Kubrick's uh, work. Like, Redbeard is in Kurosawa's like yeah. no one ever talks about it for whatever reason and uh it's it's really freaking cool 
Uh, so I'm, I'm always fascinated to... We should do Barry Lyndon for this show because I'd love to talk about it. Barry Maybe Lyndon next rules. year. I, can't, I don't think I can watch another. I'll watch it again because it's just so long. Oh, yeah. Right it's, it's, yeah, it, that's but, like that's like three days of watching. Yeah, no, I yeah. know. Uh, but no, it's, it's extremely good. And like, I'm looking at all of his movies again. Like... My current here's my current ranking. Okay. Um, Brady Lyndon, Paths of Glory, then probably uh, The Killing, mm-hmm. then 2001. Nice. Okay. Then probably Killer's Kiss. Okay. Then Doctor Strangelove. All right. Then Spartacus. Okay. Then Cl- Oh, I forgot to put The Shining in there. Shining goes after Pi 2001. Um, okay. And then in the then Clockwork Orange after Spartacus, and then at the very bottom is Lolita. Hmm. And I don't think I don't think any of these are necessarily like poorly made films in any in any fashion. Oh sure. I just sure. think that's kind of how I feel about them. And I have two left, so I mean, who knows how that's gonna end. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I'm interested to see what your what your thoughts are on. I just watched that's gonna be the most interesting one because I know that one's just controversial. Yeah, I think that. I think that. Um, I think that those two movies have both aged better and poorly. Yeah, for sure. Than than uh, than most of his other works, uh, but but yeah. I'm excited um, to ha- I'm excited to talk with you about those because yeah I'd like I'd love love to see what you think. Um, and then the last film I want to talk about is I watched yesterday, uh, AI artificial intelligence. Oh, the Spielberg Haley Joel Osment one. A movie that was originally developed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Um, and then he gave it to Spielberg because he thought he couldn't direct it. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting that the stuff that uh, Spielberg added is the the bad stuff, not the, not like bad, like but like the dark stuff. Sure. Like all of the stuff about the androids being blown up and stuff like like in like all Jew Law's character and stuff like that. All of that's added by Spielberg. Yeah. Where Kubrick's main idea was the boy trying to find that movie. You cannot. It's one of those things like you can't bet against. Um, at this point, it's it's really hard to bet against James Cameron. Yeah. Until like we see Avatar two bomb, like don't bet against James Cameron. Somehow he pulls it off. Sure. Right? Don't bet against Steven Spielberg sci fi. Oh, 100 percent. Like Minority Report, uh, War of the Worlds, Jurassic Park, Close Encounters. Yeah, like all of all of Steven Spielberg's sci-fi stuff is is pretty immaculate and holds up incredibly well. And I always was told like, uh, AI is not great. AI is AI is pretty bad. AI is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, no, AI is way better than anybody gave it credit for. Yeah, it's a little slow, that's for sure, but it holds up so well for a movie that came out in two thousand one to look as good as it does. Yeah, for sure. With that much special effects going on. Mm. For sure. Yeah. No. Yeah, AI, AI is like, I think I feel like, and I still haven't seen the Will Smith movie, I robot. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like AI and I robot will, pr- are, are kind of like two films to live on better than they were received. Yeah. And now I've not seen I robot. 
but I've heard enough people talk glowingly about it that that energy seems to be around it. I mean, I like um, iRobot a lot, but I understand people don't. Yeah. So hopefully, I don't know. I, but I but AI is so much better than anybody gives it credit for. And yeah, that's, and again, Hugh Jasmine, that kid was like, how old when he made that movie? Like, yeah, he was he was born in eighty eight, <sighs> so he was twelve. Mm hmm. And he gave that performance. Yeah. Uh, I've never wanted to murder a child Wait. more than um the, the the human brother in my life. Sure, yeah. He was born in 88? Yeah, he's only he was only like 12 when they made that. So he was 8 in the sixth sense? Yeah. Pro- po- probably younger because of like production time and whatnot? That would make him about 6 and 4 Scott maybe. Jesus. Yeah. I, I think Hale Jalzman has a pretty incredible filmography. Um, even even the stuff that isn't good, like it's just kind of incredible the the performances you get out of him every time. Yeah. Um, for sure. We should do second hand lines at some point. That movie I remember being like, this is this is my two angry men. <laughs> yeah. No. I I think I remember there was a there was a critic for the Inquirer here. Uh, Philadelphia Inquirer or Philadelphia Weekly something I think his name is Sean Burns and I think he said this is absolutely the worst film with a cast of a bunch of Oscar winners or Oscar contenders uh, following up movies they had been Oscar winners or contenders for <laughs> like it's so he, he had su- he had such a bun- he had such a plethora of snarky things to say about that movie yeah. but isn't is it like michael kane Haley joel osmond and um, someone else oh, who's the other guy um it's michael kane Haley joel osmond basically the premise of it is i think they're his grandparents it's michael kane mm-hmm. and robert duvall um, oh yeah and he has to live with them because he's kind of introverted um oh great uncles that's what they are and so it's basically those two guys who kind of hate each other um, getting Haley Jawsman out of his shell. Yeah. What is the director of Secondhand Lines? Oh, yeah, so the director of Secondhand Lines literally did nothing. Uh... Sure. But it's interesting. Yeah. Film bro crit got the hell out, got the better of his career. Uh, <laughs> like, that's probably what that was. He did write The Iron Giant, though. And I, that's pretty important. Oh yeah, um, that, yeah, that'll live forever. We didn't pick a movie. Next we time. have not. You have any ideas? I mean, I I kind of threw this one at you, so I think I should let you throw one. We at should me. do something fun. I like now, fun. We're in November. What what are Thanksgiving movies? Planes, trains, and automobiles. I haven't seen it. Steve Martin, John Candy, trying to get home for Thanksgiving. It's on Paramount Plus. That's what we're doing next episode. <laughs> I think I actually have that on DVD. John Hughes uh, movie uh, on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Hour forty five. It's gonna be a quick watch. We'll probably have more to say about it than this movie, which will be interesting. Um, and then I think after that is our start of our Christmas or ho- winter holiday movies that. We both pick one and we go from there. Yeah. Um, and then we're doing, uh, we're also doing a little thing that we will talk about as it gets closer. Uh, oh, you guys know of that thing. 
We, I'll, 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 I'll fill you in after, totally. after, after we're finished. But uh, Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? So people can find me at infinite underscore rewind on Discord or not? No, well, I am on Discord, yes. Uh, but I'm talking about Twitter, Instagram. Um, chances are my Twitter handle will probably become a little less active because of things going on on that platform that I'm not super happy about. Uh, so I have created a co-host account. Uh, it's cohost.org. Uh, my handle is infinite dash rewind cause they wouldn't let me use an underscore. Uh, so a lot of what I talk about will probably be there. I will still retweet the shows and try and inter- interact with, uh, anybody that engages with me, but very, very much less stream of consciousness stuff will probably come through that that channel. So look for me on co-host if you feel like joining. I'm not going to force you to do that. Live your life how you want. Also, uh, I do. Uh, I, I am fortunate enough to be part of a couple of other podcasts. One called trivial merit with our friend caroline who was on our last episode she and i just recorded our all covers episode that'll take us from defeated to elated and the next episode we record will actually feature our first guest uh don everhart from gamers with glasses will be joining us to talk about the band x from defeated to content i'm saving the mountain goats for you jesse um also, uh, I, the folks at Scanline Media invited me to be part of the Bald Gun Guy podcast. We are about to record our episode on the first DLC level of Hitman 2. Uh, it is a Hitman uh, trilogy playthrough, the modern trilogy, World of Assassination, uh, one from 2016, two from 2018, and three from 2021. Uh, we are at the tail end of Hitman 2. We'll do both DLC levels, possibly the Sniper Assassin missions, and then move on to Hitman 3. One level at a time. Uh, and Six and Ty are wonderful. You can find that show at Gun Guy Pod on Twitter. Uh, give Scanline Media uh, a look-see. Their Patreon is really good. They do a lot of great shows. And uh, you should follow them. They're wonderful people. And you can find me everywhere on the internet at uh, Sleeper of the Bed. Uh, for the month of November, you can watch me slowly lose my mind as I try to write another novel in a month. I have another show called Why Comics. You can follow that at Why Comics Pod. And follow it. I think that. Oh, um, if you want to hear a pilot kind of episode of something different, I participated in the Moonshot Network's. Uh, pod jam for the 100th episode of the podcast minds and basically you just kind of have to look at the podcast minds podcast feed and find the episode that's titled uh through heaven's eyes to your television screen and my name is in there you can see that nice Uh, it's about an hour and a half show where we me and my co-host uh paddington take uh our religious trauma and kind of pull religious themes out of things that don't supposedly have them yeah i don't know what where that goes but uh it, it was fun to do that's awesome jesse i didn't realize that happened yeah i usually really check out all of those uh pilot shows that came out for their 100 
That was a really cool idea. I don't know how many of them might be pitched to be full shows, but there's a lot of fun. They had two Frasier shows. How do you, how does that happen? No one knew what they, no one knew what each other was making, and they ended up with two shows about Frasier. Anyway, I mean, Frasier's really good. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> you can follow this show on Twitter at FreeRailingIt. You can email us at FreeRailingIt at gmail.com if you have any movie suggestions or you want to talk about a movie with us. Matthew, who does our theme song? Uh, my buddy Jason. Uh, it is called. I forget what the. I actually, you know what? Never mind. Uh, I forget what the song is called. Sorry, Jason. Please don't kill me because uh, I will see you in a couple weeks. But uh, so, my buddy Jason. Did the, did the theme song. He released an album. It is called The Bloodshed Kingdom. It is available on Bandcamp, Spotify. You can follow his his work uh, specifically at Deadeye Productions, all one word. Instead of the word I, it's the letter I. So it's D-E-A-D-I Productions on Instagram. That's where he releases clips of all of his stuff. And uh, I believe he does post uh, his wonderful photography because he's a great photographer as well. If you want to look him up on Spotify, D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. He was also part of a duo back in the day called the Hope Street Steppers. Their work is on Spotify and Bandcamp as well. They only released one album. It is called Black Lightning. Both Black Lightning and Bloodshed Kingdom are two of the coolest reggae instrumental albums I've ever heard. I hope you like them too. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. And in the next episode, me and Matthew are going to hire people to play us and kind of give them... We're going to do this episode again. Yes. And we're going to try to get it right this time and kind of get the real emotions out of it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Notes every morning. (laughs) Notes every morning. uh, And I get my notes straight from God. (laughs) Yes. Straight from God. 